Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fatal. I am here with my good friend, Vivian, and we're going to have a conversation today. But before I get into that conversation, I want to make sure to give a land acknowledgement. I am in Portland, Oregon, the Multnomah County area, and I am living and working in the unceded territory, the unceded lands of the Multnomah, Keflamet, Clackamas, Cowlitz bands of the Chinook, Tualatin, Kalapuya, Malala, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. I, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and that's it. We're going to, we're going to go for it. Right, Vivian? Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so before I let Vivian talk about herself, which I'm really looking forward to, um, I want to say how I know Vivian. I'm not sure how long it's been, Vivian. It's got to be, it's got to be like 10 years plus. Yeah, for sure. So Vivian moved to Portland. Um, She started going to the bridge, the church where I eventually pastored. Um, She is someone that has always been passionate for people that live outside, young people. And I would say people that traditionally would, would be outcasts by the dominant culture. That's how I see Vivian. So full of love and creativity. And um, yeah, and that has has been something that I've admired. And the other thing about Vivian is when our son Zion was moving to L.A., Vivian's in L.A., well, in that area. Um, and we were desperate trying to figure out you know, how he could end up in L.A. from San Diego, what to do. You know, he was just turned 18. And um, Vivian met with us at this, her favorite coffee shop, which was the Bourgeois Pig. I love that name so much. Right. Uh, Yeah. And while we were in there, one of Zion's and Brennan's favorite musicians at the time was in there um Dijon and so I kind of embarrassed Zion because I was like screw this I'm gonna go up and talk to this guy because I like his music too yeah. <laughs> so I, I made the introduction for Zion and then um when Zion was almost ready to move to LA but hadn't quite found a place yet Vivian let him couch surf at her place was it a month Vivian I think it might have been might have been a little longer I can't remember but yeah yeah Yeah, and a little 400 square foot place (laughs) (laughs) and loved my kid and so you know I think when I think about you it's I think about somebody that no matter what the circumstances are okay one I'll backtrack a little bit So one of the things that is a reoccurring theme that I think for people and what I'm seeing is, you know, that like once bitten, twice shy, or what is the word? It's like when, oh, no good deed goes unpunished. Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like that happens a lot that people feel like, you know, I got burned. And so I, I don't want to be a loving, caring person. And I completely understand that because oftentimes that doesn't just happen once it happens over and over again. But when I think about you, Vivian, I think about somebody that constantly says inside that you're not going to let that stop you from loving people. Hmm. Now that doesn't mean you're not, you don't learn wisdom or boundaries or discernment or whatever, but you have continued to blow me away at how you continue to love people. Wow. Thank you so much. So that's, that's my spiel about Vivian. And I'm very excited to, talk to you today and to have all the people out there that listen to this podcast meet you and the people that all also already know you that listen that are going to be excited to hear your voice so if you're going to talk about who you are Vivian you will do a better job than me of saying like what you're doing at the present both your job like maybe your nine to five and then also if you're not as passionate about your nine to five or if you have other passions, cause I know you, there's a Deacon thing in there too. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just say what you do and um, yeah. Tell us who you are. Right on. Well, thank you so much. Um, and I, for the record, it was easy to love your kids cause they're so lovable. It's just <laughs> the same as you and your husband. So um, yeah. So in terms of what do I do, um, I probably do too much <laughs> as a lot of people that love uh, too much, right? And so um, my day job, I'm a project manager for a children's mental health agency. And um, that's that's a big deal, probably, you know, right now during COVID season, off the charts uh, need there. And then I also, as you mentioned, I'm an ordained deacon um, in the churches for the sake of others diocese, um, which is an Anglican diocese. And so, um, there's things that I do for that. And then there's, um, this other little thing called punks and monks, um, that is, it's a heartbeat for me. It's kind of the way I live my life and it's kind of morphed. We've wondered what it might be. There was talk of it being a church plant. There's talk of it being, you know, outreach ministry. And some days um, I have punks and monks tattooed on my fingers. I just look down and I think it's just me. It's just kind of the way I, I engage with the world. So um, it's yet to be determined maybe what that may continue to morph into, but there's already been some iterations of it. So those are some of the things I do. I can expand on any, all of that. Since I don't know a ton about, you know, the organized religion, um, what, what, cause I know you got ordained as a deacon. What does that mean? What would like, I know none of your roles typically are normal, <laughs> um, even within the constructs, but what would that typically look like maybe for somebody else? And then what that might look like for you? Sure. So I think um, 
typically in the hierarchy, uh, even though I don't love that word, but of um, a church organization like the Anglican Church, there's a bishop kind of who oversees an area, a region, and then um, kind of reporting to him are different priests that typically run a parish, which is a church in that region that he or she oversees. And then under that, technically would be your deacons and then the rest of the church is considered laity so the deacon what i've loved about the concept of the deacon and the way i understand it is that they typically are outside of the church interested in what's happening with the people who don't yet understand church don't want to like church maybe Mm -hmm. hurt by the church And they're constantly calling those that consider themselves inside the church out. Like, okay, people, don't forget, there's a whole world out here, you know? Yeah. And so I love that because um, I tend to be way more comfortable outside of the church, even though I have a a huge heart (laughs) for the church. That's a perfect role for you. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And so the people that I tend to just fall in love with at first glance, you know, let alone a long time you know, I have some 25 year friendships and relationships and plus um, they tend to either have a history of being hurt by the church or they've never known any kind of organized religion. Some are very spiritual um, and some are not at all, you know, and some will tell me to my face how much they do not appreciate the things that I'm involved in, but they still allow me at their table. They still invite me to their events. They still, um, make time to hear me and to be heard. And so that's where I've just continued to stay as present as I know how. Um, And I love, like, that's where I love to be. Um, The funny thing about this is I was not raised Anglican. I was not raised in, you know, traditional organized church. I was definitely raised in a non-denominational church, but um, though the churches I kind of grew up in, there was this concept of communion and this like table with bread and wine that was, you know, supposed to be something. um, But it was infrequent and I didn't know when it might happen. And and it just really felt like there just seemed no, um, no pattern or no like real understanding of when and why. And then what I've fallen in love with in the Anglican tradition is the table, which is, this you know communion table it's considered eucharist in the anglican church um and we typically do it every single week like every time we meet we come together at this table and it's intended to be this inclusive table where we're bringing people together you know to to remember what we remember and to to think about what's been done for us and for our benefit for the world you know for the whole entire world and so that I kind of fell in love with and didn't expect to in the last, um, I would say about nine or so years of kind of uh, tiptoeing my way into the Anglican fold um, as I didn't realize how much I would love that table. And it's been interesting with COVID because we haven't been able um, yeah. to have it. So, you know, but. So are you like a lot of churches that you, are you guys all online? We currently are online. Um, and we did just actually start having small Eucharist gatherings 
um, that are spaced out and done in a certain way, you know, to, mm-hmm. to really be social distance and safe and all the, those precautions. Um, but for, you know, just about probably six months now, we've done a lot of online Sunday gatherings. And that's been interesting because I've participated in some of them. So it's like, <laughs> you're like the Zoom, you know, yeah. bobblehead. Uh, <laughs> but um, what's been precious is we have done it through YouTube with a little chat feature. And um, my family in Arizona is like joining us. And like, I haven't been in the church setting with my family in Arizona for years, <laughs> you know, and then my mom's joined. And so there's just been this, like this thing that I was kind of anti the idea of being online Yeah, where I found some blessings in it. So. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Todd's been doing the um, metropolitan community church music for a while. And um so I've helped him with that. And that's been, I mean, they tried a few different things and then ended up settling on Facebook because I think when they first tried was when everybody was trying to get on zoom at the same time and it kept crashing. Mm-hmm. And so um, Nathan, the pastor was like super quick, quickly. It was like, we have to figure something else out. And so they've done Facebook and they pre-record it, but then everybody is, on the chat yeah and i mean i'm getting you know i'm not there every sunday um and i've i've helped nathan do a couple things like do a prayer or do communion or something you know Mm -hmm. just in the backyard um because i've tried to like spice it up and go different places because a lot of people can't go anywhere like I'm sitting in my backyard now and now I'm in a different chair in my backyard. <laughs> totally. But I'm like, I am, I en- I've enjoyed it. And now I'm getting so tired of it. I'm like, uh, uh, I miss singing with people. I bet. Um, but I also wanted you to, cause I sort of understand punks and monks um, because I've, you know, followed it for a while and, you know, watch what you've been doing but can you tell people at least at this point we don't know the future but at this point what does it typically look like what maybe what's the goal and um or if there isn't a goal you know what's the purpose of it what are you passionate about you know something like that absolutely um i think some of to give some context for it like it the name came from a friend of mine uh years ago and i was just like that's brilliant if i'm ever gonna do a church i want it to be named that that, (laughs) you know and so that part's been fun um but when we started to think about it i just really invited two friends of mine kelly and brian who you know angie well and um asked them to meet with me kind of regularly to like hope and pray and dream and say like, what, what could it be like? And I had this little like napkin picture that I got at some point um, of just this idea of like church and spiritual center uh, in the center. And then on one side retreat center and everything you think of that contemplative, quiet, peaceful. And on the other side, all ages, music venue, after school drop-in center, you know, for mm-hmm. kids on the street, maybe mothers and children. Um, and so just really active community presence. Yeah. 
And so at first glance, of course, those things are so extreme and typically don't go together. And that was, yeah. that was my heart. Cause that's kind of the way I live my life is I love these extremes and I love to invite people to meet on a term that they may not have realized, you know, mm-hmm. as like, Oh wait, we are actually human and we might actually connect. And so that was the heart of it. We spent the first year meeting once a month, praying, eating, always hanging out, <laughs> um, deciding, you know, just kind of plotting and planning. And then maybe the next year or two, I think we started um, just trying to gather with other people who might be interested. And that pretty much took on the look of like people who had some interest in spirituality, but it wasn't always focused on something spiritual, Mm -hmm. um, but more community. And, um, and to me, it was all church like that. That to me is church. It's not going to a building and, you know, sitting in a pew. And so uh, I was pretty comfortable with it. There were some people um, like my precious mom who would come and be like, I don't know if that's very churchy, you know, like she'd be <laughs> sometimes and I'd be like, so why I love you, you know, and she'd come back, you know, so, yeah, because that's your mom. totally, totally. So we, and we tried different things. Did that, you that, was that when you were doing the hikes? Is that, was that part? Yeah, so we kind of incorporated that. I think Brian and Kelly had been doing the hikes like prior to us trying to make Punks and Monks something, but we just kind of incorporated anything. And that's what I I just started being like, this is real life, everybody. Like, let's do life together and see these different ways and see what, what kind of makes sense and and what works for people, you know? So like, if something political was breaking our heart, I was like, let's gather and we'll pray and we'll write to you know our political figures and tell them what Mm -hmm. we think and we don't all have to agree but let's have a you know night of it and I know one of those nights just turned into lament like we just all talked about like what does it mean to be so grieved over the state of the world and let's talk about it because so many of the environments I grew up in didn't talk about how hard life is you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm always trying to give room for that as well um and you know I have to be reminded by some of my friends like let's also talk about the joy and the good and the like <laughs> <laughs> yes so yeah I mean but I think probably the most frequently appreciated gatherings were art and food you know we just pretty yeah. much always said Tried to always have food for people and then um, typically bring your own beverages and um, and and then said, you know, if you want to bring your instruments, bring musical instruments. And then I just always have had a ton of art supplies. So I'm like, I'll pull my supplies out and if you want to bring your own. And, you know, we just we just seem to that's my vibe anyways. And so yeah. that kind of worked really well. Um you know, some life choices and changes because we started talking about it really being like a church plant. And then what does that mean for different denominations and organizations? And what do we want to do with all that? And so there's some changing and thinking around that. And then, um, you know, I got really sick last year. So when I got really sick, I wasn't able to host. Uh, So it was actually... I forgot you got sick, Vivian. Yeah, yeah. One one thing after another. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So our official gatherings kind of stopped because of that. And then right when I was like, well, maybe it's time to rethink and restart up uh, COVID. Hit. Yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> then I was like, well, maybe we shouldn't be gathering in a you know, small space. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think it's just kind of transitioned for me to um, mostly individual, like trying to connect with people yeah. and letting people dictate, you know, like how like a lot of it's been like over the phone some zoom you know I pretty much get zoomed out (laughs) after my day job but um, yeah because are you working from home right now um yeah I've been working from home since probably the end of March um I've started to go back maybe one day a week here and there um and that could be changing but yeah um a lot of zoom meetings as I think a lot of us it's so fatiguing oh my gosh really is well that is that's helpful because um you know I wasn't really sure I I mean I felt like I knew and you pretty much summed up what I thought it was um but always like when I think of you and the Petersons just willing to have the difficult conversations and hold that difficult space and I think you know, and the joy, obviously the joy, mm-hmm. but I want to, you know, talk about lament for a second or just grief. And mm-hmm. I feel like, especially the church, um, at least the church that I grew up in, and I think maybe the church that you grew up in, it's almost like there's a fear around, <laughs> I just realized what I'm saying and why there is a fear. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll I'll flush it out. I feel like there's a fear around expressing grief and lament to such a degree that, you know, the platitudes are all people really know how to do and the platitudes are re-traumatizing for most people. And I just realized why that is. And I think there is something in Christians and maybe it's American Christians, you know, maybe it's our culture as Americans but specifically within the church, it's almost like they think that to express grief or sorrow or lament is taking God's power away or making like, like somehow God isn't or Jesus isn't worth anything if people have troubles. Mm-hmm. And so there is no place to put these traumatic events and especially right now, you know, trauma after trauma after trauma. Mm -hmm. And then the black and Brown community holding so much trauma for so many years. Yeah. It's just, you cannot put a bandaid on this stuff. And that's what the church has done. And I would say, you know, our political system governmental you know the whole system has let's stick a band-aid on this um damn this just exploded mm-hmm. you know i'm sure it's I'm sure it'll be fine you know <laughs> and then we're going to turn around and walk away and not look back believing that the band-aid is going to be fine yeah. and i think that that's one thing that i no i don't think i that's one thing that i appreciate about you 
is you are not afraid of people's mess and grief and anger. I mean, maybe you don't love anger, but you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, you know that it all comes, it doesn't come neatly packaged. And I guess maybe my question for you is, um, where do you think that comes from in you, Vivian, if you don't mind talking about that? Like, do you know why you're okay? Why are you okay with, you know, this quiet and solitude and also loud and, you know, mohawked? you know <laughs> and then you're also okay with taking a hike in the woods you know what I mean like you feel where do you think this because I don't see it as a dichotomy I see it as things that need to come together be together but in our world that's rare mm-hmm. so do you do you think you do you know where that comes from in you Well, I think the easy answer, you know, is I could say something like, well, I'm an Enneagram four for any of your (laughs) listeners who know what Enneagram is. Um, So, I mean, I think some of it's personality, some of it's the way I was created. I think some of it is also my life experiences like any of us. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I had a lot of early loss and grief and I think I've done some a fair amount of internal work um, on that. And I had to, like many of us first normalize it for myself that like grief is a huge part of, of this life. And some don't experience loss after loss after loss, uh, maybe the way others of us do. And so there may never be an understanding and I have grace for that. Like I have total room for that. Um, But by and large, the people that I'm most attracted to or that are most attracted to me tend to have either experienced a ton of grief and loss themselves or they've experienced a lot of abuse, which is, which calls for grief, you know, and is definitely certainly an amount of loss. And so, um, you know, and I have family members who've experienced you know, abuse and things like that too. So it's just given me kind of an understanding for it. And probably in my teenage years, I was really, really struck for a while trying to determine like, am I depressed Mm -hmm. all the time or am I like experiencing grief? And I had, you know, a, a counselor really helped me walk through that of like recognizing like, oh, this person died and oh, this person was removed Mm -hmm. from your family and oh, this person died, you know, and like these things contribute, these kinds of losses, especially death. It's like final, you know, Um, and other kinds of of loss when people are removed from your family, you may never be reunited with them. So there's no knowledge of, there's no certainty in that reconciliation or that, that possibility and so with that I had to kind of look at it and 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 do the work do the internal work of it so in part that just makes it easier for me because when other people want to talk to me about their grief or their loss or their abuse I'm like oh like 
Like, I get this. Like, I get yeah. this more than the person who comes to me and says I've never experienced it. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I'm like, I also don't believe you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Is that denial or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, yeah. I mean, again, I take them for their word. And some people, I feel like, have had certain things easier, for sure. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, so. not... I mean, I, I think that a lot of people you know, survive their families and maybe make it through life without sexual assault or abuse and very little death um, or no death. I know that's possible. It seems rare, but, Mm -hmm. but I also think, you know, and maybe this is the cynic in me, but uh, then are you asleep in the world? Because, because, Mm -hmm. There's so much, there's, yes, there's so much to be excited about and there's so much beauty. And for me, nature gives me so much joy and life and connection to something beyond myself that feels, you know, I laugh about my belief in magic, but, you know, I have to. I have to say, sometimes I can feel the energy, you know, call it God. But I also, you know, can feel the sadness and look around at the grief, the, you know, not just, I think, not just like the individual grief that I see. And I think you know this, you know, in the, in, in the area that you work in, and the story of people. And then there's, you know, there's individuals that you love and then there's, it's just layered. And then there's maybe people you don't know, but you're watching get targeted or be affected by the pandemic in ways that we have almost no control over, you know, and then there's the world and then there's the planet. And it's, you know, and I think if you're not, you know, and maybe that's what's happening also with the pandemic is I'm kind of talking. And then I think that it, I, I, I have a hard time believing that you can't, that you can get through life without some grief. And I'm a Cold War kid. So maybe that's where that comes from. Just <laughs> living <laughs> with the fear of the bomb dropping, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, you know, just also empathy requires grief, I think. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a cost to that, but the cost is worth it to connect. And that's one thing that I think that you do really well is you connect with people and you let them feel, and I'm sure it's not always easy and and maybe that brings me to my next question is um and maybe there's not a way you can answer this but do you have specific things or ways that you feel that you've learned to hold space for people in those moments that like because of your own experience and I'm not saying like you always know the right things to say because I think that's bullshit. <laughs> right. <laughs> not a, right things to say. But are you like, 
I don't know, maybe it's just you've developed a capacity to hold it. But is there something that you're like, I will never do this because this was done to me. And so I always try to do X, Y, and Z. Is there any way that like you feel like you've developed a way to let people grieve or be angry or lament and not have to fix it? I would say probably the way most of us do where it is like what you've experienced that you're like, Oh my gosh, do not ever do that to me. You know, <laughs> then yeah. you kind of turn it around. I'm like, all like, right. I would really... better place. Yeah. But... Yeah. The better place thing. Oh my gosh. Or like, they don't even think of you or care about you because they're in a better place. You know, oh. it's like, great. You know, like... <laughs> Jeez, that's harsh. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've heard some like, yeah, I've heard some extreme ones for sure. So I think one of the pieces is that, you know, and, and it's said by many, but especially with grief and lament, presence is so important. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things I try to cultivate all the time. Uh, even now, like now I feel more distracted in my life than ever because of so many demands and so many mm. arenas, but it's like, if someone calls and they need to be heard, I will tell myself, wait, you're here. You're on this phone call with this person, you know, and I will, you know, want to be present to the person. And if I see, feel myself traveling, you know, to like, oh, what didn't get done at work or, oh, what yeah. do I need to do over <laughs> here? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is this precious moment, you know, and typically if someone's really in grief, I don't even have to remind myself because I'm so like, this is the moment, you know, like this is the, this is where we're at. It's sometimes if it's, you know, maybe not as specific. So I think presence is important, I think. Um, And the other thing, you know, that you were kind of getting at, we haven't been taught to grieve. Yeah. Right. So as a society, as our institutions, our churches, all these different settings. So that's where I like to offer up the opportunity to grieve Mm. Mm -hmm. or the asking of the question. When someone tells me something gnarly that's happened in their family or just, you know, just happened in their life or something, it's like sometimes I will tell them, whoa, 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 how you doing? And they're like, I'm fine. I got to do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, no, no, no. We'll get to the X, Y, Z. How are you doing? Like, that's heavy. Like, yeah, you know, and giving them the space to go, oh, you're right. Well, also you're acknowledging it. And I think um, so much of our grief we've had to do in private. Mm-hmm. And so we've been taught, like you're saying, to kind of just keep on keeping on. Yeah. And we need somebody to <laughs> like we might not even be able to acknowledge that it was hard. Right. And you going, Whoa, that, that sounds heavy. Are you okay? Is like giving them permission to go, Oh yeah, that was horrible. Or that, that is painful. And I didn't even stop to like breathe or feel it. Yeah. And I think that that, um, I mean, it's, it seems like such a duh to me, <laughs> but it's not. And then that makes me sad. <laughs> Right, right. Because often, you know, the thing that we're hearing is the, you know, what kids hear, like, stop crying. Right. 
If I could, believe me, I would <laughs> because you're pointing it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, all these things that were taught along the way to just like go private. And I'm not saying that all grief needs to be public or should be public. I just think that people, everybody needs somebody to listen to them. Absolutely. And hold that space. And I think it's a powerful, I mean, I think about stuff like this, you know, if everybody offered that Mm -hmm. just one time, the world would be a different place. Right. You know, if everybody offered that, you know, nine times out of 10 or five times out of 10, you know, and you can't do it all the time. I don't think it's humanly possible to always be present like that. Right. Speaking. And there are people that, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this that would take advantage of that. <laughs> totally. so, so we're not talking about that. We're talking about those moments of genuine, that need genuine connection. And as you build that practice, it changes the world. Mm-hmm. And it's powerful. And I think, again, that's those are those things that because we can't quantify it, you're not going to make any money doing it. You know, people won't be running through the streets screaming about themselves being changed. So it's unnoticeable. And because those kind of things have tiny ripples, the ripples are powerful and potentially life-changing. But because they're not like making a splash across the Internet, you know, or Instagram or whatever... I think people don't see the value of those moments. Yeah. And so you even saying, you know, I'm bringing, I bring myself back, remind myself that this is a, you know, this is a sacred moment. Yeah. Is really powerful. I mean, I do that, you know, but that is my job. I do that before a direction appointment. I just kind of still myself and center down. And then I'm like, okay, you know, it's time to be present to another person. Yeah. <laughs> because even though this, this is my job, it's like, <laughs> I want the reminder because also I feel like sometimes the reminder is a bookend. Mm-hmm. Like I do that before and then after I hold open my hands and I release the person too. Mm. So I have, you know, it's a ritual for me to do both. Which is so healthy. I mean, that's, I think, part of what I've had to learn, too, is, you know, like, because I can take on the world's grief, you know, and everything that I see in the world, it's like, if I don't turn around and release it, then it weighs me down. And then yep. I'm no good for anybody. Yep. Yeah, we learned that. <laughs> we learned that the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess maybe that I, I what I want to ask you then is because of the time that we're in, Vivian, And the competing tragedies or pandemics, you know, we, we have so much, we have COVID, we have Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. we have a racial pandemic, racism pandemic, let me clarify that. We have a racism pandemic, you know, that's over 400 years old. We have COVID 
We've had wildfires up and down our coast that had, have devastated and killed so many people. Mm-hmm. We have an election that is toxic and racist. And what do you as an empath and a four, how do you, what do you do with yourself? <laughs> Oh, well, I cry a lot um, and I let myself cry a lot. I uh, have to have a small, tight support group of people that I trust. And so right now they're all individuals Mm -hmm. and they let me cry and they listen. And typically before like we hang up a phone call or I meet with them face to face, I'm like, can we pray? You know, whether they like to pray or not. So that's my own spiritual discipline that helps me um, stay connected to what I believe is my source. And I I just have a lot of practices that I've picked up along the years of writing. Um, I'm still a very huge fan of uh, The Artist's Way and Elizabeth. I wonder if you're (laughs) going to mention that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that particular... I still go back to her books um, and sometimes I put them down and I wonder why it's been so long. And then, you know, I Mm -hmm. pick them back up, but um, I have a practice of writing most mornings to get out everything that's going on inside of my brain, at least. And, you know, I've really started to try to pick up things like moving my body, like getting to the ocean and walking where I can Mm. breathe in that air and, um, often, you know, take off my shoes and be grounded in the sand and the sea. And so, and kind of what we're talking about, acknowledging that this is a really painful and hard season for so many people for so many reasons Yeah, and not avoiding it, you know, and, and saying to people and they're like, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm struggling. This is yeah. hard, you know? And I can tell you, um, <laughs> not always appreciated in management meetings <laughs> <laughs> oh, even though probably some people are like oh yes yeah. I yeah so um I keep trying to like temper it from a professional perspective but um but often I want to scream you know I want to get on on the table and scream and be like it's not okay like what's happening is not okay and I think it's important to give voice to that again, because if we're quiet about it, if we're not acknowledging it, then it seems like all those tragedies and all those traumas are okay. When we know they're not okay. Like the things that are going on are not okay. And the people that are being affected are not okay. And the only way to be an ally, the only way to be a support, I think is to give voice, especially if people are voiceless. I mean, I learned that a long time ago with our friends who live outside, like, if they don't have a voice and you have one, then you have to share your voice. Like you, you know, so I definitely get passionate about that. I don't, you know, and I, I'm still very, very human in that I still give myself a hard time for the things we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Where I'm like, why aren't you happier? And why can't you deal with this? And why can't you see the joy in the world? Oh, because we're in a pandemic. Exactly. (laughs) It's horrible right now. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think it, that's the funny thing, too. It kind of catches you off guard because you get used to it to some mm-hmm. degree. 
you know, it shows the capacity of the human, the human being to get used to something. And keep on, you know, going. But um, God, I have been in my car and just screamed. Because mm-hmm. I know that, you know, sometimes that's a trauma release. And, and then I've gone, oh, that actually didn't feel all that good. <laughs> all <laughs> my throat. Totally. But I, but I did it. And, you know, whatever. Yeah. Was what it was. Um, is there anything that... For you that you were like this really worked for me before all of this started going on and now like is there anything you put not the artist way because you pick it up and put it down but is there anything like that you did religiously before you know as maybe a spiritual practice before this all happened and then like for me you know there were things that were working really well in the beginning and I added to it. Like I did some meditation every morning. I was in the habit of doing that. And then I also went on a walk and then I added all these things. And then there, I got to a point probably three or four months in where I couldn't do any of those things anymore. Mm-hmm. And all I could do is sit in the backyard and look at the Douglas fir tree sway in the wind and that's fine that's enough for me Mm -hmm. is there anything for you that you're like it's embarrassing or I can't believe I'm saying this but I also do this (laughs) (laughs) um gosh you know I think I think like maybe similarly like in the beginning I was like allowing myself things like, well, I can have a cider every night or I can have, you know, some kind of, I like the camp, the hard kombuchas these days, you know? (laughs) And so um, that kind of stuff kind of cropped in and it didn't, it didn't feel excessive until I looked back and I was like, I never have a drink every day. Like I just, I'm not that person, you know? Um, That's not your go-to. Yeah. But it was, you know, or (laughs) beginning to, it was like, I'm going to eat as fancy as I want to, you know, like I'm going to splurge on like special foods. Cause again, you know, I thought it was going to last like a month, maybe a week, you know? (laughs) And so um, some of that stuff or just like taking a really long walk through one of the big giant corporate you know, stores just to look at everything I don't need, you know, and think about what I'm going to buy, you know? So some of that, like, just felt really unhealthy and gross because I don't normally do that, but I found myself certainly doing that, you know? Um, So, and then in terms of like the practices, some of the practices I still do some days just feel super lifeless. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm like on that verge of trying to figure out what that means. And, um, I did start meeting with a coach on top of the spiritual director that I've met with for a really long time. And, um, one of the things that I've been focused on is just trying to get back into creating art. Yeah. And so that I decided to make a spiritual discipline and commit myself to it. And so I even have a couple people that like I've allowed to like encourage me and know about it. And I've sent some of the things I've, you know, been mostly sketching and, and then I just drew the other night or I painted the other night. And it's like that, like, Oh yeah, I remember how much I love this. 
and also it's the first thing that goes it's the first thing yeah. I throw out the window um, yeah, me too. yeah and so uh, I'll have to send you this picture that I sent uh, afterwards or that I painted the other night because it's so uncomfortably not me and that's I think part of what's been going on too is the internal work I'm doing is bringing about a part of me that I've tried to suppress and deny Mm -hmm. for a long time you know and so I borrowed from an artist that um, I found on Instagram that I just liked and um, she did this incredible painting of this bear with its mouth open like like full-blown angry bear kind of thing and then in front of it was this little girl and the little girl's kind of in an angry state with you know her hands up and Mm. a similar you know facial feature and uh, when I saw it I was like oh my gosh like that like it affected like my gut before it even like you know I could even register like what is going on And, and the artist named it The Courage and she had done it for a friend um who was trying to empower her inner child Mm. well when I saw it I was just like oh my gosh this is part of this is a side of me that's coming out and not everybody's liking it and you know like I'm trying to figure it out and so but the the practice of sketching it and then drawing and painting it um and having it come to life was again that like other piece of like oh my goodness this is so it's almost primal to do those things you know and yet in the fast pace of all the other demands, it's so easy to not do it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've picked up a few different things over the course of this. <laughs> I started playing the ukulele again. <gasps> I didn't do it. And then I'm like, Oh, I should do that. I like doing that. And then I, I don't make the time for it. I'm not sure what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I've done that a few times. But I I can't get that image out of my head, Vivian, because the other thing, one, I think that would make an amazing tattoo. Um, And then the other thing is I, the first thing I thought of was kind of what it feels like right now to be screaming at something that feels unbeatable, you know? I, I I I wouldn't like I'm a grown up and I would not stand a chance against a grizzly bear. Mm-hmm. And that's what it, it feels like. I'm still going to keep screaming. I still want to be heard. I still want justice and liberation and equality. Yeah. So I'm going to keep screaming, but it feels so daunting. And that is, I mean, that's so powerful. Please send me. I'd love to, I'd love to see that. For sure. And go ahead. I was going to say, I think that that is, that point always leads me back to community and needing each other. And so like, even this has been encouraging for my soul just to talk with you, Angie, in this way. And I think like, that's where you and I over the years have talked about like our heart for community. And it's that like, one person standing alone yelling probably doesn't have the impact of like you and I standing side by side and yelling and then adding to it and adding to it, you know? Yeah. That's so true. Brennan and Brennan is home for a short visit. She mm. had 
go to the orthodontist and uh she was like do you want to watch harry potter and i'm like always Mm. even though i'm mad at jk rowling but i still love harry potter and uh we're watching we we couldn't decide what one to watch and she's like okay should we because we watch them all the time (laughs) should we uh do you know from one to seven and let siri pick and siri pick five which Mm -hmm. is our favorite order of the phoenix and there's this moment and i don't know if you're a harry potter fan but there's this moment where harry's standing out you know and luna lovegood is they're feeding these horses that nobody can see except people that have seen death and so they're talking and you know Luna's telling him this and she says to him you know she said my you know my father and I believe you and and he goes well you're the only ones and she says well I think that's what Voldemort wants you to believe if I was him I would want you to feel alone because if you feel alone, you're easier, you're an easier target. Yeah. You're easier to, you know, you're, it's easier to stop somebody from screaming if they're by themselves. Yep. It's a lot harder to stop, you know, and that's like these protests and people standing up. It's like, it is a lot harder to stop hundreds of people saying this is not okay right and i also i I love whatever is happening to you vivian like i don't i'm i don't you don't have to get into it but i think women finding the power of their voice Hmm. that not just the power of their voice, but the power of their voice in anger, which I know is very hard for force. <laughs> but there are things, I say this all the time in the archery workshops, there are things, people are very afraid of rage, and I get it. I don't like to experience somebody else's rage. It's terrifying. But there are things in the world that... You cannot not be enraged about. Right. Absolutely. The rage is the only response. And so if we don't, like, women getting that voice of rage and power back or embracing it, it can be sloppy. And when we start to use it and people don't, aren't used to us going, actually, no. Please don't talk to me that way. Or no, I don't agree. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. I think it makes the people that love us uncomfortable. And, you know, it takes a while for those that truly love us to get used to that. But it is so important and valuable, especially, well, one, for us, but also for the women that are watching us. Yeah. Because I would hope that, you know, my daughter and her friends 
and not just women, but I think typically women are not allowed those emotions, mm-hmm. um, that they would be able to get access to that a lot earlier than I did. It took me into my 40s before I really let myself get mad about stuff. So whatever you're doing, (laughs) continue to do it because it's... (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to, um, you know, I I don't know if you want to talk about anything else, if there's anything else like you have been thinking in this time or feeling that, you know, you're like, this might seem weird, but, you know, this is something I've discovered and it's made me feel better. There's no pressure to, to, you know, say anything like that. But if there's something that you think maybe other people listening would be like, oh, I haven't tried that. <laughs> you know, because a lot of people are going, well, I um, never read fiction before and now I love fiction. And for me, I, I've always loved fiction. So <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm reading a lot of fiction right now. The thing that comes to mind that I'm, you know, in, in the, in the zone with is recognizing that this season uh, has brought about me leaning on people that I haven't previously maybe leaned on. Oh, and not being able to lean on certain people that I have leaned on for years. Mm. And so there's a grief in that, but there's also this other part of, it where I'm like wow this is kind of trippy that like you know like again I I feel like it's probably what's going on internal the internal work with me but it's I just I don't know I offer that as a as a possibility because I was I've been trying to resist it like wait no 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 no. I have the you know people that I go to and I don't go to these other people and so um starting to like with for different things typically yeah but it sounds like that's being switched up for you right now yes yes that's cool yeah it really has been and it's it's still like they're still in the like this is tripping me out like i'm still there where it's still tripping me out but um i don't know it felt like something to encourage others with like maybe at the beginning like were you nervous of being vulnerable and maybe with these people in ways that you hadn't been before yes yes certainly and and part of it is being vulnerable in that like newer voice of saying like you know like I have one friend who tries to encourage me to be positive and I'm not normally positive, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I've been able to say to him, like, wait a minute, you don't understand how bad it's been. Yeah. Like, yeah. And how hard this is on me and the hard work I'm doing to face it and the internal work I'm not, you know, avoiding. And so, like, getting him to stop and listen mm. and go, oh, okay like I still think you're gonna make it through like he's still the voice of encouragement for me in that um but also it's 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 forcing me to again have that voice to speak up and go wait a minute there's more to this than just 
you know? And so I've done that with a couple of people. So I think, again, it's that practice of, yeah, of being able to have voice. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah, that's, that's super powerful. And also who knows, maybe, you know, maybe somebody that tends to look on the brighter side or whatever he's doing, you know, will think before they do that to another person and just let it be for a little bit longer yeah. or ask a different question. Right. You know, and I, that's something that I, um, I'm always trying to get better at is ask a di- I want to ask a different question, mm-hmm. you know, that maybe gives the person room to explain it in a way that wouldn't have happened if I would have just gone, well, you know, can't you, can't you smile? <laughs> no, <laughs> fucking can't. So. <laughs> and so don't, don't ask me again. Or I'm never speaking to you. <laughs> My fist may enter your face. Uh, yes, I think that's, I think that's good. Um, I am so grateful for your time, Vivian, and for your wisdom always grateful for your wisdom and your generosity and that you choose to lead with vulnerability. It's, I mean, as a lever of vulnerability to another lever of vulnerability, there is very little that's more powerful. Um, Before we say goodbye, is there anything you want to plug? I'm not certain. I mean, I could plug punks and monks uh which is you know on on instagram but i've been a little quiet there so but that's probably the most public uh space right now so yeah is your personal stuff private or yeah i have a personal account i try to keep kind of private because like some of us learned with facebook i let too many people in and then was like wait why do i have all these people in my life so so the best way to kind of see what you're doing in the or what you've done and maybe what you will be doing in the future is on the punks and mucks yeah okay well i'll make sure that people see that and um again thank you so much oh my goodness thank you so much i was so delighted just to be invited and i always love (laughs) chatting with you talk And before I go, I want to remind everybody that um, I do meet with people for spiritual direction. So if you're looking for a spiritual director, you can reach out to me. I'm accepting clients right now. AngieFatal.com for, you know, any any of the things that I do. Um, Also, remember who you are, that you are worth knowing, you are worth loving, you are worth being in this world. And it's not just me that thinks that. Vivian and I together yes. are two young women screaming at the grizzly. Mm-hmm.